Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going a little uh, old school recording style. We're having some technical difficulties with uh, some of the uh, uh, our recording, uh, how we record. And so we're going old school rather than figure this out, figure that out. We're just going old school. And how beautiful it is that the word goes forth with a more humble means, a more humble means. If you open up your Bible, please turn to Numbers chapter 30. Numbers 30. Now, here we are in Numbers 30, but you have to remember that this is all preparation from Numbers 27 on. Remember Numbers 27, the Lord, you know, when uh, 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 the Lord told Moses, hey, it's Joshua. He's the next generation that's going to, he's the one that's going to lead Israel into the promised land. Not you, Moses. It's the next, for this next generation, it's Joshua who's going to head that. And from that moment, Numbers 27 from 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 numbers 27 to the end of numbers and then also into Deuteronomy you have a lot of refresher courses i mean look at what we've been looking at so far about the feasts uh certain offerings all from tw- chapter 27 and these are the feasts and the festivals these are things that we've studied in Exodus in Numbers how many times do you hear us refer back to that you know Exodus and and Leviticus we've looked at these things already and so it's like a little refresher course that the Lord is giving the people hey be, you know don't forget these things before you enter the promised land First generation is going to die in the wilderness for the next generation that passes on, you know, into the promised land. Don't forget these things. Retain these in your minds. Tell these to your kids. And we're going to see this in Numbers 27 all the way to the end of Numbers and even into a large portion, if not all, a large portion of Deuteronomy. And it's, Deuteronomy is like Moses' uh, exhortation to Israel. You know, hey, guys, don't forget these things. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Just like... Paul, there's a lot of repetition with what Paul says. There's a lot of repetition what we see in the Old Testament, repetition what we see in the New Testament. Why? It's for us. It's for us to know these things and apply these things in our lives. Now, in the Old Testament, a large portion is in reference to the law. But does that say we do away with the law? No, the law is holy. The law is, you know, if one uses it lawfully, the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understand that the law is a tutor. It points us to Christ. Once we arrive to Christ, we enter the door and we abide in Christ. No period. The Lord says, abide in me and I in you. That's the life of a Christian. You take advantage of God's grace, then, you know, you sidestep, 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 no repentance, and then boom, you can run the risk of being under the law again. And you're under the tutor again, which would bring you back to Christ. But even then, if you ignore the tutor, then that's not good. That's not good. Don't do that. And so here we are in Numbers 30, and this is what we see here in verse Uh, Chapter 30, verse 1, Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. This is an Old Testament example of what we're exhorted in, in as new covenant believers. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. How the Lord takes vows. We've studied this. Leviticus 27, number 6. We've studied these things. How God views vows. Very seriously. We are the ones who don't take vows seriously. But the Lord takes vows seriously. Very, very seriously. 
And so understand that this is a message that the Lord has given to Moses and Moses is giving to the people, not to the people. What was given to the people was in Leviticus 27, number six. And this is still for the people. But do you remember in verse one, he says, Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes, the heads of the tribes. So for this next generation that passes into the promised land, it's an exhortation for the leadership. Hey, Teach this to your people. Teach this to your tribe. You know, here, you know, when, uh, 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 when, when Paul, the Miletus meeting for the elders of Ephesus, remember our study in, in Acts 20? And there was the Miletus meeting and Paul says, hey, bring the elders over here. Elders, let's gather over here. It's like a strong exhortation for the elders. Yes, there's, there's biblical passages that are for the saints like we're studying in, in, in First and Second Corinthians. The church in Rome, Rome, the book of Romans, exhortation for the saints. But then there's exhortations for the leadership, for elders, like we see in Acts 20. And he tells them, hey, fight. You know, some of you guys are going to be wolves. Wolves will come in among you, and even among you, men will rise up. Listen to our study through Acts 20. It's a strong exhortation. You read First and Second Timothy and, and, first, uh, uh, and, and the book of Titus. Exhortation for pastors. It's not to say that it's not for saints because we have the full canon of the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. It's definitely for all the body of believers. But understand that the Timothys and the Titus, that's for pastors, for elders, leadership. The next generation that's going to exhort and teach whatever generation they're speaking to. It's for the leadership for our journey into the promised land, and I speak of paradise. You see? In verse 1, he said, Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes. These are things that were given to the people, but a lot of times what you see, these reiterations, they're spoken by leadership. You see? Responsibility of the leadership as preparation for entry into the promised land. We see an Old Testament example of the very new covenant truth as well. For your and my entry into paradise. You see, for the heads of the tribes, but then what about for the heads of the uh, churches? Of course, you know, Jesus Christ is the, the head of every church. But what about the pastors and the elders who serve as, as servants of the Lord? For the purpose of uh, exhorting Christians, saints. And don't forget, exhortation is not without correction. Remember our study in Romans? Exhortation does not exclude correction. Look at how Paul exhorted the Corinthian church. There was warning there. Words of warning. Words of division for the church in Corinth. And see the responsibility for leadership, overseers, pastors, and elders, the responsibility that pastors have. And so we see here in verse 3, or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord, so male and female, it doesn't matter. If a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house, in her youth, in her youth. So now you see here her male covering. Male covering is her dad. Maybe it's like a 10-year-old, uh, 15-year-old girl. I don't know, whatever age. Maybe she makes a vow. You know, she's at that you know, age where she's more mature, bat mitzvah. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, she can make these decisions, but, you know, dad has overriding authority because she has a male covering, which is her dad. Now, I have to say something too. Now, if you're female, my beautiful sister in Christ, I love you. We're going to look at things which might be somewhat abrasive. And depending on, you know, the male figures in your life, some of the things I'm going to say are going to be very abrasive. But let's put aside the male figures in your life. And let's look at our ultimate male figure, Christ Jesus. Your submission unto him and my submission unto him. Your and my submission unto Jesus Christ, our better husband. Your better husband and also my better husband. I speak as a member of the bride of Christ, which is very forward-looking because the marriage hasn't happened yet. But he said, will you marry me? And I said, I do. Depending on the, the, the males in your life, whether it be a dad, whether it be a husband, Whoever, you know, some of the things we're going to look at today are going to be very abrasive because these are poor examples, depending on, you know, the fruit of these men, their walk with the Lord, if they have a walk with the Lord or not. I completely understand that. But let's put the carnal aside and let's look at the male covering of our Father in heaven. Your submission unto Him and my submission unto Him together. Even for husbands, I meant your submission unto your husband and also my submission unto my husband, capital H. Now, you might be listening at the first time and be like, what in the world? Submission unto a husband? This guy's a dude. What is he talking about? Now, before you think I'm an Episcopal, what I'm talking about is Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, verse 4, Therefore, my brethren... You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. You see, the better marriage, the better husband. Me personally, I don't like speaking about marriage. I don't like teaching about marriage. And now if you're wondering like, what in the world was he talking about? Well, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and you'll understand. I do not like speaking about marriage. But marriage is nonetheless a beautiful institution. Paul has a recommendation. He has a preference. Okay, you know, don't get married. Stay single. That's his recommendation. But he says, if you're going to give in to sexual sin, get married. That's Paul's recommendation. I'll tell you a little secret too. It's my recommendation too. (laughs) Uh, You might understand it in the course of time. But you'll get it more if you listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. You'll understand why I don't like teaching about marriage. Because it's, it's abrasive to the flesh. It's abrasive to the carnal nature. But even still, marriage is a beautiful institution. Especially the better marriage that we look forward to. Our marriage unto Christ. So when you hear me speak to, to my sisters... And you hear me say, hey, sisters, you know, you submit to let's put aside the carnal and let's put aside things of the flesh. And let's look at the our 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 father in heaven and our marriage to his son, your marriage and my marriage. Before you think like, whoa, this guy, he's like a hardcore Methodist. He must be like Episcopal. What is he talking about? No, no, no. I'm referring. I, I speak in the spirit as referencing Romans chapter seven, verse four. Spiritually speaking. So let's go back to Numbers chapter 30. 
And if you're listening, you're female, you're my sister in Christ, I love you. We have all kinds of examples, good and bad. And you might have a poor example of a dad. You might have a poor example of a husband. You might have a poor example in a grandfather, in whoever. I don't know. But let's put the carnal aside. Let's put the things of the flesh aside. And let's keep our father in heaven in mind and the lordship of his son. And your submission and my submission unto him. Now, when we read these passages... With these eyes, it will help you in understanding what was given in the law. Especially, it will help you with an understanding in the fulfillment of the law. And I speak of the fulfillment of the law of Christ and all that implies. Meaning, you abiding in Him and Him in you. And so we see here in verse 3 of Numbers chapter 30. If a, if, or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth. So she has her male covering, which is her dad. And her father hears her, her, hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, which translates in the Hebrew as an obligation, which is hers to keep. So she made this vow. And her father holds his peace, meaning he restrains from speaking. He re- re- refrains from speaking. He holds his peace. He's he's fine with it. He's completely fine with it. Then all her vows shall stand. You see how beautiful this is? Now, I'm not advocating the law. We read the law as new covenant believers through the lens of the new covenant. We're not going back to the law and saying, okay, we're going to fulfill these things. But these things were already fulfilled in Christ. It's you abiding in Christ and me abiding in Christ and him in us. But even still, when you look as new covenant believers, forgetting the things of the flesh and keeping in mind our father in heaven and the lordship of his son and our submission unto him. Do you see how beautiful these passages are? This male covering in her dad. He's fine with her vow. Completely fine with her vow. Maybe, you know, if he's a godly man and she, he's raising him and his wife are raising a godly daughter, a, god, a godly, you know, young girl into, you know, young womanhood. And then all of a sudden, maybe her vow just makes him cry because he's like, wow, she, my, my baby girl is honoring the Lord just like I've been praying. And, you know, the husband and wife have pillow talk at night. Wow. Did you, did you hear baby girl's vow? That she made, wow, and I'm, I, kept, I kept quiet about it because, look, it was her honoring the Lord. And she made this vow, and you know what? I'm at peace with it. How beautiful is that? This is the law, but how beautiful is that? And so we continue to see the dad holds his peace, that all her vows shall stand and every agreement which with which she has bound herself shall stand. So the male covering, which is, you know, it has uh, 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 her dad, he has a say. He has a say as the male authority. You know, authority is always male in the Bible. Always male. Now, the problem comes. I'm not like a hardcore, like, you know, you know, hardcore patriarchy in accordance to the flesh. In accordance to the spirit, I am. Now, if you're feminist, if you're feminist, if you're a non-believer and you're a feminist, or maybe you are a believer and you're still a feminist. 
this whole concept of down with the patriarchy, that's evil. I'll tell you something that happens among the male class. We've blown it. We've blown it. Because I've spoken with a lot of females, and they say, oh, down with the patriarchy, down with the patriarchy. I don't like the male here. I don't like this male. I don't like the, uh, my, the my dad. He's a deadbeat. You know, my husband, he's a deadbeat. This pastor, he's a deadbeat. This elder, he's a deadbeat. My boss, he's a guy. He's a deadbeat. I don't like these males in my life. So down with the patriarchy. Let me tell you something. I don't like the males in my life. We've blown it. You have a problem with deadbeat dads? So do I. You have a problem with deadbeat husbands? So do I. You have a problem with deadbeat pastors and elders? So do I. You have a problem with deadbeat bosses? So do I. You have a problem with the patriarchy? No, I don't. You do. I don't. Get a new patriarch. Capital P. His name is Jesus Christ. A lot of the feminists that I speak to, some of them are like hardcore, like militant. And I get it. It's a a satanic seduction. I completely understand it. I don't agree with it. In one regard, I do agree with it. I don't like defunct husbands. I don't like defunct dads. I don't like defunct pastors. I don't like defunct elders. I don't like defunct bosses who are male. I don't like these the defunctness I see among the male class. And that's a big problem. I agree with this problem. We've blown it. As males, we've blown it. I don't like it. But there's a better patriarch. His name is Jesus Christ. You see, we identify a problem. But an even greater problem is when Satan presents the solution. See, the solution isn't, hey, you know, down with the patriarchy, you know, let's, you know, let the women wear the pants and let, you know, let the women do this, let the women do that. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, women can't do this, women can't do that. Biblically speaking, women can be pastors, women can be elders. Aside from that, women can be, don't forget, Priscilla was a teacher of Apollos, who was a well-respected pastor. Priscilla was a teacher of a pastor. You see? She also was a tent maker. She had her job and she was a teacher. She was a wife. Don't forget these things. You know, she, everything had a balance. She had to have balance. All of it in honor of the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful Priscilla. Prissa. I can't wait to meet her. I can't wait to meet her because she's one of my heroes. A teacher of Pastor Apollos. Don't forget that Priscilla had her male covering, which was her husband, Aquila. Don't forget these things. It is written. But even still in this day and age, there are defunctness in the male class. There is such a thing as defunctness in the male class, and it's going to grow and grow. It's going to fester, and I hate it. But I do not say down with the patriarchy. I say, hey, get a new patriarch. You come with me and you abide in Christ with me. And we submit to our Father in heaven. And in so doing, we submit to his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. You know, if you have a defunct dad, if you have a defunct uh, 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 husband, if you have a defunct pastor, let's put aside the things of the flesh and let's see with spiritual eyes. 
Because when you think this way, when you have this mindset, it will help you in understanding and grasping these things in the law. And not just in the law. Remember, we look at the law through the lens of the new covenant. It will help you abide in the law's fulfillment and his abiding in you. His name is Jesus Christ. Now, if you're feminist and you're a non-believer, if you're anybody a non-believer, hit pause and listen to the message, how to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and you become a Christian. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing because these days are getting darker and darker and darker and more evil and more evil. You see the rise of the feminist movement. I understand it. I, comp I, comp I don't agree with it, but it's completely understandable, the rise of the feminist movement, because the men have become a defunct class. So-called men. I call them little boys, especially in the church. I mean, the world is the world, but when it comes to the church, I call them little boys. Big, strong muscles, the hairy chest, the whole nine yards, but little tiny boys. A defunct class among the males. It's a big problem in the church today. And a lot of pastors say, wives, submit to your husband. Wives, submit to your husband. Which is a biblical truth. Wives, submit to your husband. But it is also written. Don't forget all the, you know, are there any it is also written's? Yes. Because the biblical model is a husband in submission to Jesus Christ. Wives, you submit to that. Because new wine flows vertically. New wine flows vertically. And if your husband goes off into crazy town, for whatever reason, he goes off into crazy town, you're still safe, wife. Because wine flows vertically and you're still under new wine. Now, new wine is flowing into you, your new wine skin. And now with one hand, you hold on to your husband. With the other hand, you hold on to Christ. And underneath you are your kids. And because new wine is flowing into you, no longer flowing into your husband who's gone off into crazy town. Because of his own choices. Now new wine flows from you to the kids. And you hold on to your husband for dear life, for his dear life. You care for his life more than he cares for his own life. Because he was seduced, he had forgotten. Because he wasn't taught. And for other reasons too. But when it comes to a certain subject matter, I don't blame the pew. I blame the pulpit. The pastors, where are the teachers? Are they of the defunct class? Get a new pastor. Is your pastor of the defunct class? Get a new pastor because these days are evil. It's not a time to play games. Now, you hold on to your, your husband goes off into crazy town. You hold on to your husband for dear life. Now, the only time you can let go is when your husband commits sexual sin and he breaks, he breaks the marriage covenant and does his sexual stuff with another woman or other women or, you know, gets all the prostitutes, does his sexual stuff. It's not you that have broken the marriage. Now, a lot of wives who have been divorced, they're like black sheep in the church today. And I hate that. I can't stand that. I mean, you know, if it's depending on what the situation, but the large majority of times it's because the husband was unfaithful and the wives get blamed. They're the black sheep. They're shunned. They're shamed in the church. You know who really should be shamed? The husband. Because he was a fool. 
But if a husband does that and, you know, does his sexual stuff with another woman, biblically speaking, now you can let go. You know how you hear me say, hold on for dear life, hold on to Christ with one hand, hold on to your husband for dear life. He does his sexual sin with another female. He has broken the marriage covenant. It is no longer regarded as holy to him. Your marriage stays holy, except it's unto Jesus Christ. Biblically, you can let go of your husband. He has broken the marriage covenant. You see, these are things that happen. Today, in the church today, what you see is, oh, we have irreconcilable differences, so we're going to get a divorce. No, it doesn't work that way. One time, one time, marriage once, marriage once. I mean, there's biblical provisions for, you know, getting married again and getting married in the Lord. But now look forward to the better husband, the better marriage. You know, like Paul says, you know, don't get married at all. This is my recommendation. That's what Paul says. And when you think this way, it will help you in looking at these passages where you see Submission unto the male for my sisters. It's going to help you in understanding your submission unto the male. Because sometimes you look at life through, through these, the lens of you know, what you see carnally. You look at life through, okay, this is my dad, this is my husband, and I hate submission unto these guys. You know, if you're young, I hate submission submitting to this guy. If you're, you know, older and married and your husband's defunct, I hate submitting to this guy. But yet you do it dutifully unto the Lord. And the Lord sees. He knows. He, he sees your service unto him. But make sure you're looking at life through the, the lens of Scripture, through the lens of Jesus Christ, because it will help you when you submit to our Father in heaven, when you submit to Jesus Christ, the better husband, regardless of what your worldly husband looks like. And these passages like this, sometimes I've spoken with females before, and they're like, man, this is so hard. This is so hard because, look, my dad is like this. This is so hard because, look, my dad cheated on my mom. And, you know, I can't do this. I've spoken with young teenage girls. My dad did this. And I know the Bible wants me to submit to my dad and my parental authority. And it's so difficult because my dad is, was unfaithful. Well, what about the better husband? What about our father in heaven who is always faithful? For men, you hear me say we've blown it. I understand the rise of the feminist movement. We've blown it. If you have blown it, you need to repent. You need to repent. Repent, repent, repent for all of it. Remember your covenant with the wife of your youth. If you're married, don't blow it anymore. You submit to Jesus Christ. You submit to your better husband as well. And I speak spiritually. You submit to our better husband, which is Jesus Christ. Don't be a poor example in your home. Be a godly example in your home for the next generation of righteousness. Don't be of the defunct class, of which there are many. And if that's you, if you are of the defunct class, repent and don't be defunct anymore. Be alive in Christ. You say, well, wait a second. This is what my other pastor taught me. My other pastor taught me this. He taught me that. Well, the proof is in the pudding. If that's the fruit of his doing, get another pastor. He's probably of the defunct class himself. And so when you see things through this lens of our submission unto our Father in heaven and his only begotten Son, our Lord, 
It helps us understand these things about the male covering. Here you have in, in, in Numbers 30, verse 3 through 4, you see this, this girl, this young woman, this female, she made a, 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 cover, a vow. And her dad was cool with it. Her dad was at peace. He held his peace. He had nothing to say about it. Because, wow, you know, this is... Now, do you see how both need to be spiritual? Both need to be, you know, right with the Lord? Because what if just the opposite? You hear me talk about defunct dads. And this is difficult when you have a, a godly daughter. But what about the opposite? Or, you know, what if you have a, a defunct dad where, you know, I'm, I, I gave an example of a godly dad who's like, you know, blessed that his daughter is making these decisions, her vows. But what about when you have the opposite where a godly daughter is making these vows, except you have a dad who's wicked. Oh, daughter, I don't want you to do that. So I'm going to take advantage of my authority. And no, that's not happening. You see, because the male covering has overriding authority. This requires holiness in the home. This requires holiness in the tent. You know, father, wife, husband, wife, kids, holiness is required. You see? I mean, Holiness is required. It doesn't always happen. I mean, the majority of times it doesn't happen, especially as we get further in the, in the Old Testament. But holiness is required, and where there isn't holiness, then blood. You need blood to atone. Old Testament, that's the truth. New Testament is the truth. Except as as New Covenant believers, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. Parents blow it. Dads blow it. Moms blow it. Kids blow it. But in this state of Adam, death is required. Life in Christ. You see, death in the wilderness, the generation of Adam, just as we studied it through uh, 1 Corinthians. And just as we're seeing here, the first generation in the wilderness must die. Moses included. It's the next generation that passes through the wilderness or passes through the promised land. And so here we are in verse five, but if her father overrules or forbids, forbids her on her day, on the day that he hears. So he doesn't keep silent. In verse four, he keeps silent. He holds his peace, but now he doesn't keep silent. Whoa, 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 wait a second. So baby girl made a vow and you have a godly dad and baby girl made a vow that dishonors the Lord. No, baby girl, that's not happening. I know you made this vow. I know you want to do this. I know you said that, but nope, this ain't happening. Not in my home, not in my tent. You see? You see godliness across multiple generations. The parents, the kids. That's like the ultimate, that's the objective. That's the optimum, what we want. I'm not advocating the law, but same thing as new covenant believers. You want a, a godly husband, a godly uh, wife and godly kids. That's, that's what we strive for. You say, wait, we have that in Christ. Yes, we have that in Christ. Keep it that way. Because hearts can grow hard. Hearts can grow hard. And so we see this in verse 5. But if her father overrules her 
on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. You see, so this male covering of her dad, you see safety in the law. I'm not saying safety, that there's safety in the law, but you see how it's safe for the tent. It's safe for the daughter. And this is in the law. I don't mean safety in the law. I mean, safety in our in for the daughter using the law. <laughs> so I want to preface that as, you know, I want to make sure that preface that statement by saying righteousness doesn't come through the law, but the law is still holy. The law is still holy for us in this generation as new covenant believers. It's a tutor to bring us to Christ. We are under grace, under grace. But even still, for this particular daughter who's now had her vow overridden by her dad, I say she's young, she wants to honor the Lord, but she doesn't understand deeper things. And she says, hey, pops, I made this vow. And the dad says, nope, not in my tent. And let me tell you why, baby girl. Baby girl, this is why. Because you see this, but what you're not seeing is that next week, you know, it's going to be like this. Like You're not seeing these things. So let's sit down, baby girl. Let me talk to you about this. Let me tell you about this vow that I made once. And let me tell you how, you know, it turned out terrible. And I learned the error of my ways. And so I had to fulfill my vow because it wasn't, you know, I had to honor the Lord, but it was terrible to me. And I learned my lesson. And now, baby girl, I'm overriding your decision. I'm overriding your vow. And this is why, baby girl, I'm not doing it to hurt you. I'm doing it because I love you and I'm helping you to understand. Do you see, baby girl? Do you understand, baby girl? Yes, Papa, I understand. Okay. Do you see what's happening in this interaction? A dad, as pastor of his home, as leader of his tent, he's pouring into the next generation. And now baby girl is going to grow up and has this example of godliness in her dad. And when Joe Schmo comes knocking, hey, you know, let's go out. Let's get something to eat. She's going to say, no way. You don't even come close to the measurement of my dad, my, my example of a godly man. You don't even come close. So no, go fly a kite. You see, righteousness, men, you can set the bar high for your daughters. Not by mandating and saying, you know, sometimes I talk to dads, you know, and they're kind of like, oh, yeah, I can't. My daughter's dating this guy. My, I'm so worried. And I'm thinking like, man, you really set the bar low. If you're really worried in this manner, you really set the bar low. Let me see. Who's this guy that she's dating? Oh, look, he said this. He does this and this. It's like, whoa, you really set the bar low. You see, don't be that way. Don't be of the defunct class. If you're a man, you have kids, you're married. Don't be of the defunct class. Even if you're single, strive to be non-defunct. You see? We know what defunctness gets. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. It's not good. But here you see for this, you know, baby girl in this example, it's like, wow, it's so beautiful. Like, Papa, why did you override my vow? I thought I was doing good. Yes, you were doing good, baby girl, but you're not. You're doing good for, you know, maybe tomorrow or the next day. But you're not seeing, you know, three days in. You're not seeing four days deep. You're not seeing five days a week, a month. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And I tell you from experience, baby girl. Do you see what's happening for a father to pour into his daughter? You say, wait a second, does that, does that mean the sons can get, they get off scot-free? 
Well, no. There are provisions in the law where sons don't get off scot-free. They shouldn't get scot I mean, look at the sons of Aaron. They were burned by the Lord. Did they get off scot-free? No. Well, then how come we see men, boys, getting off scot-free and the females don't? There you go. Why do you think there were hundreds of years of silence? Why do you think there was no widespread revelation from the Lord in the days of little Samuel? Because of defunctness. You see? No power. Just like you see in the church today, no power. And for the excuse, people say, oh, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, that was for another dispensation. That was for the era of the book of Acts. It's not for today. Nowhere in the Bible will you see an expiration date on the power of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how he works in the dispersing of gifts. You will never see the expiration date in the Holy Bible. Which tells us what? His power is still there. Healings still happen. These giftings of the Holy Spirit, it still happens. But because you have defunct vessels, because in order to excuse their powerless lives, they say that was for another dispensation. They make it up as an excuse for their powerless lives and their defunct nature. And if they don't want to say that, if they don't want to do that, they make a farce out of it and say, okay, 200 people, let's all speak in tongues. Making a mockery of the power of God and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. No, there must be order in the fellowships. Listen to our study. Now, if you're charismatic and Pentecostal, I love you. But listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. You'll understand what I'm talking about. Order in the fellowships. Order in the church. These are difficult passages when you look at the Bible through the lens of the carnal nature, through the lens of the flesh, but you cannot do that because the things written are spiritually discerned. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to young girls and they're like, man, you know, this is so difficult because my dad cheated on my mom. My dad, he's a druggie. My dad, he's an alcoholic. And it's so difficult to read passages like this. It gives me anxiety. It gives me anxiety, they tell me. I go into depression because I want to honor the Lord and I want to do these things and I want to honor. But it's so difficult because my dad, he's, look at him. And they don't say it to bring him dishonor. A lot of these, sometimes these are very personal conversations, private conversations. It's like, okay, I get it. I completely understand but let me tell you something. If that's you, if you're a young teenager, even younger even, you're a teenager and you have, you know, and I don't mean this to sound rude, but I, you know, I, I tend not to candy coat things. I don't want to be mean spirited. I don't want to come off that way. But if you know, you honor the Lord and you have a defunct dad and a mom who submits to a defunct dad, or maybe you have, Divorced parents, and you love the Lord, and you know, you have a defunct dad and a defunct mom. Do you know what that means for you? You be the light. I mean, you're always the light, but you be the standard of righteousness in your home. The same way a, 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 a wife submits to her husband, and when the husband goes off into crazy town, he, she doesn't go with him. 
she submits to Jesus Christ and holds on to her husband for dear life. But if that mom, if that wife wants to submit to her husband who's defunct and not submitting to Jesus Christ, do you know where the strongest, uh, the strongest illuminescence of light is? It's in you, my friend. My young friend, it's in you. Male, female, I don't care. You're a male teenager. You're a female teenager. I don't care. That strongest illuminescence of light for that home, for your home, it's in you. And I know it's difficult. You know, I've had these conversations with young people. It's hard to submit to my parents. Look, my dad's a sex head. He's a drug head. He's an alcoholic. My mom's, she's crazy. I hear it for this next generation of righteousness. A lot of times parents are the ones who set the poor standard. But let me tell you something. If you're my little brother, little sister in Christ, let's forget the things of the carnal nature. Let's not look to the things of Adam. Let's look to Christ. You and me in submission to our father in heaven, hallowed be his name. You and me in submission to his only begotten son, our better husband. You see? And let's honor the Lord. You see? Now we read passages such as this, the overriding authority of a dad unto his daughter. And it's actually quite beautiful. It's actually quite wonderful to see this interaction father unto his daughter it's i have no words for it but i meant when we see things through the carnal you think like man you know the, 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 this girl's gonna submit to this guy who's her dad man that guy's defunct and the girl's gonna be a mess and all this okay i get that but let's the answer isn't you know, down with the patriarchy that's not the answer because problems arise problems will persist and arise in life they're Maybe not persist, but they're going to arise. They don't have to persist. But problems will arise at all moments of your life, at every all different intervals. There's going to be intersection of problems. There's going to be all kinds of problems. The word of God has a solution. And the Lord Jesus Christ can fix it. But Satan will also present solutions to you. You see, now comes spiritual warfare. For you to test the spirits. Satan will say, oh, you know what? Down with the patriarchy. Look, you have a defunct dad. You have a a, a defunct husband. Down with the patriarchy. Here, look, join the feminist movement. You see, don't do that. There's a better patriarch. Capital P. This overriding authority that this dad has, how beautiful is it? Godliness has to be in the entirety of that tent. No leprosy in that tent. I love how the Lord gives it. Sometimes it's like the Lord like lays these things out and it's like, whoa. I mean, he just like, like boom, like, like he just lays it out. This is how it's supposed to be. And then you see the reason why there's a lot of blood. A lot of blood for the tents, for the tribes. A lot of blood. But even as new covenant believers, 
Don't forget the blood of the Lamb, capital L. The covering, the atoning blood. And so we see this, this dad who has over, overriding authority on his daughter. In verse 6, if indeed she takes a husband. So now she's married. She takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself. So she has her own choice to make. And in making, in so doing, she makes these vows. And now they're the male covering, uh, the, the male covering, uh, the, the dad has held his peace. But now instead of being under her dad's tent, she's now in the tent of her husband. The covering is still male. It just transfers to her husband. You see? Now her husband has the same authority over his wife. He can overrule a vow. Now what's so beautiful about this is that, you know, if you're female, it's like, wow, wait a second. How come this is kind of, you know, like, this is terrible. This is terrible. Okay. In the carnal nature, I understand it. In, depending on the, the male, it can be terrible. But for when you look at things through the lens of new covenant believers, you and me in submission to our father in heaven and our better husband, Jesus Christ, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Now, since we are in the ways of Adam today until we shed off these earth suits, you might have a dad. You might have a husband. What's he like? Pray for him. Intercede for him. Now, if you're male, you don't have to lord over your wife and say, wife, submit to me, wife, submit to me, kids, submit to me, kids, submit to me. When does Jesus ever say that to you? When does Jesus ever say to you, hey, you submit to me, you submit to me, you submit to me, you submit to me. When does he ever say that to you? No, you choose to. I hope you choose to. And if you don't choose to, the proof is in the pudding. The fruit will be evident. Sometimes I don't even know. I need to know the, I don't even need to talk to a man. I, 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 I can know enough about a man through the countenance of his wife. You know, you see, she dejected and rejected does she have that like uh, uh, subservient kind of uh, uh, way about her like a slave class I know okay he's probably heavy-handed in his authority his male authority he overrules her and in so doing he's overreaching in his authority it's not good a lot of men like to get on their high horse. Oh, wives, submit to me, submit to me, submit to me. They can't find their way out of a wet paper bag, but yet they say, wife, submit to me, wife, submit to me. That's not good. You, men, you submit to Jesus Christ. You submit to Jesus Christ. And you know what happens? You want to know what? And I tell you from experience, he takes care of everything. <laughs> He takes, you submit to him hardcore. And he takes care of everything. And I tell you from experience. 
So now this female is now under a male authority, not in her dad anymore. It's in her husband. And so here we see in verse 7, her husband hears it and her husband hears it. So the male, still male covering. It's her husband now and makes no response to her on the day that he hears. Then her vow shall stand and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules or forbids her on the day that she, he hears it, so he's not silent about it. He has overru- overriding, overruling authority. He says, he shall, make void, he shall make void her vow which she took and what she uttered with her lips by which she bound herself and the Lord will release her. You see? Now, I can't stress this enough. This can be, when we look through spiritual eyes, it's quite wonderful. It's very wonderful. It's very beautiful. Not advocating the law. We're not a people of the law. We're a people of the fulfillment of the law. But it's still beautiful nonetheless when you look through spiritual eyes. Now, if you read this and you're married to a carnal husband, a defunct husband, these are very difficult passages to read. Because it's almost like, man, you know, this is fuel for my angst. Because it's like, wow, you know, the Bible says to submit to this. The husband has overruling, overriding authority. It's like, man, this is terrible. And if you're married to a defunct husband, it's painful. It's painful to read these things. It's still true. It's truth. Old Testament truth. But the law is still holy if one uses it lawfully. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law is still holy. The tutor is still holy. It's the the low beams. Remember our study a couple weeks ago? It's the low beams. It's not the high beams. It's the low beams. And these are very painful if you have a defunct husband. These are very painful. I've talked to these women with defunct husbands. And it's very difficult. Very, very difficult. In one side, I can say, well, it's just a vapor. It's true. It's just a vapor. This life, it's, that's all it is. But we still have to endure it. We still have to endure it. That's why we can't be unequally yoked. If you're single, if you're female and you're single, you're male, you're single... You cannot be unequally yoked because it will present problems. A lot of guys, they're like, oh, I want to marry a cute girl. I get it. A lot of females, oh, I want to marry a cute guy. I get it. I understand it. But not all the time. What is pleasing to the eye doesn't always please the soul. And I tell you from experience, and I say that with shame. What is pleasing to the eye isn't always pleasing to the soul. Remember that. If you're single, remember that. You're single and you desire a spouse. Let us look forward to the better husband. You're male and you desire a wife. Let us look forward to the better marriage. You're female and you're single and you desire a husband. Let us look forward to the better marriage. You see, 
It's very, very important. It's very difficult to study. For the young people, you have a defunct dad. These are very difficult passages because of the carnal example, the, the, the example in Adam that you have. For the married women, these are very difficult passages because of the carnal example you have in Adam. Difficult, difficult, difficult. But let it stop with you. You have a defunct husband? Pray for him. Intercede for him. If his defunctness is sexual sin and sexual infidelity, then biblically, you have grounds to let go of him. That doesn't mean let go of him and, you know, go out and party. No, you let go of him and you hold on to him, hold on to Christ. You see, a lot of people, oh, yeah, yeah, I have a defunct husband, so I'm just going to get divorced. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Marriage is once. Marriage is once. There's biblical provisions for, you know, another marriage, but it's always death. Now, if you're on marriage number two and your ex is not dead, you need to repent. Because you're an adulterer. You're in adultery. You need to repent. Biblically, you're in adultery. You need to repent. I don't say this to hurt you. I say this because I love you. You need to repent. If you're a defunct husband, you need to repent. If you're a defunct dad, you need to repent. Because all of the tent must be holy. See, and so we see this in verse 9 also, any vow of a widow or a divorced woman. So, here you have a female who was under the authority of her dad, she left, and now she's under the authority of her husband. Now, the husband is gone, either through death or through divorce. The husband is gone, and now you have provisions for that situation. So also in verse 9, any vow of a widow of a divorced woman by which she has bound herself, so regarding the vow, shall stand against her or above her is how it translates. So no male covering. Now her vow is seen as a covering. Now this can be either good or bad. Now this is regarding vows. I can't stress this enough. This is regarding vows. And I also can't stress enough. This is in the law. In the law. I'm not advocating the law, but there are provisions in the law for uh, widows and provisions in the law to what happens if a husband dies, what happens to that surviving wife and the family responsibility. There are provisions and statutes in the law that protect for those situations. But when it comes to the topic of divorce, there is statutes in the law for divorce. And you remember, you say like, well, wait a second. That means that divorce can happen. Now, remember when the Pharisees asked Jesus, they says, well, what about divorce? And the Lord reveals to them, he says that divorce was added because of the hardness of hearts. Now, as new covenant believers, we know that that's uncircumcision. Hardness of hearts leads to, uh, to, leads to circ- uh, uncircumcised. It was added because of hard hearts, which isn't good. And so the Lord gives the example of even before the law. How many wives did Adam have? You see, 
one. You see? And divorce is heavily abused. As we get further in the Old Testament, divorce is heavily abused. In the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, divorce was just what would happen in those days is that a guy would be, you know, oh, I don't like the way you made my eggs, wife. So here, I'm going to get a certificate of divorce. Go to the priest and say, yeah, my wife's a terrible cook. And, you know, here, here's a certificate of divorce. Here, woman, you're released. You're no longer my wife. Do you know how terrible that was for the wife? In a male-dominant society, male-dominant culture, do you know how terrible it was for the wife? What was she going to do? You see? And so wives were even more, more subservient, but it was out of fear. Oh, you know, I'm going to you know, behave this way. I'm going to be the best cook. I'm going to you know, perform like this, and I'm going to do this. And so... It made it, you have a slave class in the home. But the same thing happens today. A slave class in the home and it's the wife. You see? Oh, wives, you gotta, you know, you do this, you do, and if you have a defunct husband who's off in crazy town and doing his own crazy business, doing his sex, his drugs and rock and roll, wives, are you gonna submit to him? No, you hold on to him. You love him. You're committed to him. You hold on to him for dear life. But your submission is unto Jesus Christ. New wine flows vertically. Your husband leaves new wine. You stay under new wine. For the sake of your kid, to honor the Lord. But for the sake of your kids, that the new wine, they can get new wine. And for the sake of your husband, that you hold on to him, that his soul might be saved. That's the biblical model. The problem exists today where people don't want to yield to Christ. They want to yield to the word of God. And so they make up these special rules, these special provisions. They say, oh yeah, irreconcilable differences. You see, it doesn't work that way. And so you see these provisions here in the situation of divorce. And then in the situation of divorce, it's like, well, wait a second. You know, don't forget that these statutes, when questioned by, when the Lord was questioned about divorce, he points to Adam and Eve. He points even further pre-law. He goes pre-law. And so verse 10 if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them. So remember, the situation is like a widow or a divorced woman. And if her husband truly made them void or utterly voided uh, utterly voided them on the day he heard them now so in this situation the husband wasn't silent but this woman honor is still required because she she has to give an account well my husband told me this my husband said this you see holiness is required in all tense holiness is required because just as we study in Leviticus, leaven or leprosy can hit any home, which is uncleanness, can come to any home. So every home, every tent, 
holiness. And also don't forget in verse 1, Moses spoke to the heads of the tribe, the heads of the tribes. This is given to them, the next, the, the next, you know, the, the leaders for the next generation. The next generation, they're gonna need this. The leaders of the tribes, when they have the, 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 the tribes, when they have kids, their kids, they're gonna need to learn this. Their parents are gonna tell them, and you know, if they don't tell them, you know, then the, the leaders, they're gonna tell the parents, they're gonna tell the men, they're gonna tell them, they're gonna tell everybody. But leadership still has a responsibility to make this known, to make truth known, to make the word of God, the will of the Lord known, his commands known. Just as we see this, remember on Sunday, the entourage of Paul, the holy bubble of Paul, overseers, to make known the things of the Lord, the yo-yos, to make known the things of the Lord. And so we see here when the, the, in verse 12, but if her husband truly made them void on the day that he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement that uh, agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, utterly void, and the Lord will release her. So male authority, always male authority. How beautiful. When we see these things through the lens of new covenant believers, through the lens of you and me in submission to our Father in heaven as a male authority and to the, in, in, in submission to his only begotten son as a male authority, as our husband. How beautiful are these passages? You see, the better husband, the better husband retains or avoids our rash... Uh, when we make rash decisions. And you know what? I'm thankful for that. As the bride of Christ, as a future member of the bride in, bride, bride in Christ. Remember, we're betrothed virgins right now, awaiting his return and awaiting the marriage. But I'm thankful for his overriding authority. So thankful because I make stupid choices. I make stupid decisions. 20 years ago, I made a lot of them. But even still, I still make dumb choices, but I love his overriding authority. You see? Because when we see these things as new covenant believers, it helps us. We can fall in love with him even more because we see safety in his overriding authority. When we make those dumb choices, dumb decisions, dumb mistakes. Not if, when. And so we see here in verse 13, in closing, every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it or her husband may make it void. Now, this is, this is very dangerous when the husband is a fool. Old Testament and New Testament. This is very dangerous when the husband is a fool. Just remember how like you'd hear us say on about pastors, how there's this little warning label, how uh, committing a uh, 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 pastor committing a uh, teacher committing godly people into your conscience it's very dangerous to do when the this person is a fool when he's defunct it's very dangerous only do it for the godly but the same thing applies here 
These are very difficult passages when your husband is carnal. This is very difficult to to study and read when your dad is carnal or lost even. Very, very difficult. But let's put Adam aside and let's look to Christ. Every vow in verse 13 and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it or her husband may make it void. Now, this is verse 14 is just for a bad marriage. When you have a bad marriage, you know, for not, not when you, but when for those who had bad marriages, they were just married. They didn't really think it through, which happens a lot. You know, that's why for, for the younger generation, you know, everybody, the guys always say, oh, I want a cute girl for my wife. I want a cute guy for my husband. I get that. I understand it. But I tell you the truth with an abundance of shame that what is pleasing to the eye isn't always pleasing to the soul. The Lord will change your eyes. He'll give you a new set of eyes. He'll teach you what beauty is. The beauty of a man, the beauty of a woman. Godliness. Righteous. There's nothing more beautiful on the planet than righteousness. There is nothing more beautiful than righteousness. What is packaged in? I don't know. But it is beautiful. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, if you were to say, hey, who are the five most beautiful? Every single one of you would like vomit. You'd be like, wow, you know, that's pretty carnal. Very carnal. Today, you'd think like, wow, you're blind. You think that's beautiful? You're the blindest fool on the planet. But the Lord changed my eyes. I see things differently. So what do we see here? We see this example of a bad marriage. But what happens to these vows in a bad marriage? In verse 14, now if her husband makes no response whatever to her from day to day. So it's like, you know, no communication in this home. No communication in this tent. Does that mean that, okay, there's no communication. That's our little loophole to skirt the law. Nope. Doesn't mean that at all. So there's no response whatever to her from day to day. Then he confirms all her vows or all, all, or all the agreements that bind her. He confirms them because he made no response to her on the day that he heard them. So you see here, this, uh, the husband remains silent. Now today, husbands remain silent for various reasons. Sometimes I hear husbands say, you know, oh, my wife nags me, my wife nags me. So I just sit on my couch and I keep quiet because I don't want to hear her. She says this, she says that. Now be very careful, husbands. Now it could be that you have a legitimate nagger on your hands. That's your problem. You married her. Pray for her. Or it could be, you know, is Moses when Moses looked down at his feet and sees the foreskins of his sons at his feet, is he going to say, oh, uh, Zipporah's nagging me? No, the wife was helping him. The wife saved his life because Moses almost broke the law, but the wife interceded. A lot of husbands today say, oh, my wife is nagging, my wife is nagging. No, she's trying to help you. She's godly. She's trying to help you. She's interceding for you. Do you not see these things? And in some cases, husbands say, oh, my wife is nagging me, my wife is nagging. It's like, man, she sure is. You know, <laughs> you better be on your face before the Lord because, you know, seek his face because only he can fix that heart. It could be. But... It's just a vapor. Husbands, if you have a nagging wife, it's just a vapor. Pray for her. Does that mean you get to get a divorce because of irreconcilable differences? No way. No way. You see? 
Marriage is once. Marriage is once. That's what we strive for. You don't always see that, which means what? There's a lot of people that need to repent. A lot of people on their second marriage, third marriage, they need to repent and be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. You see, I have a lot of people in adultery and they need to repent. They don't know they're in adultery. They don't even think they're in adultery because their pastor doesn't teach them. They got a pastor of the defunct class. Does that mean down with the patriarchy? Nope. It's a problem, a legitimate problem. But Satan presents solutions too. Are you going to believe him? No, we believe the word of God. Defunct pastors need not apply. You see, oh yeah, I can get a divorce. Irreconcilable differences. Who told you that? My pastor, he's defunct. Oh, don't, you're wrong. She's female. Okay, she's defunct. And you're also defunct because you're not following the Bible. Pastoral authority, pastoral authority, elder authority, it's male. Always male. You see, don't forget that even Esther had her male covering of Mordecai. She also had another male covering of the eunuch who would take her into his chambers, make her beautiful, and he was a eunuch, and prepare her for her wedding to her husband. Prepare her for her husband. I think a lot of pastors, if you're a pastor, 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 if you're a pastor, get very comfortable with the idea of eunuch. Because what do you do with God's people? You make them beautiful. And prepare them for their marriage. To your king. Your master. Get very comfortable with the idea of being a eunuch. Spiritually speaking. I'm not saying, you know, go drastic. Go drastic, but spiritually. Prepare. Prepare. Wise virgins for their marriage. Make them beautiful for their husbands. Or for their husband. Make them beautiful for the bridegroom because he's coming. That's only for pastors. You see? Make the bride beautiful in service unto your king. And so we see here in verse 15 in closing, but if he does, if he does make them void after he has heard them, so now he has buyer's remorse. Not on the day of. See, he was quiet. In verse 14, he was quiet from day to day. You know, not a lot of communication going on in that tent. He was quiet, didn't say, okay. He says, well, you know, go ahead and make this vow. We'll see how it works out. We'll see how it works out. And if I don't like it, then I'll override you. If I don't like it three months in, I'll override you. No, it doesn't work that way. Not the day of. He waited. Now he has buyer's remorse. And what happens then in verse 15? Then he shall bear her guilt. You see? The husband is not excluded from the penalty of guilt. Why? Because the two become one. The two become one. Husband unto his wife, wife unto his husband. These are the statutes in the law. Now these, that's why there's these provisions, not that's why, the, the, the provision for the divorce it was added because of the hardness of hearts, the hardness of the heart of men, foolish men, defunct men. Is it a problem today? Absolutely. Defunct men. 
who think they're men. You know, they got the muscles, they got the hairy chest, they got the beards, the deep voice. Yeah, man, man, golly, man, golly, man. No, little boy, you need to grow, you need to mature in Christ, man. You need to submit to Jesus Christ. Look forward to the better husband, the better marriage. As a member of the bride of Christ. You see, in verse 16, these are the statutes which, which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife and a, between a father and his daughter in her youth, in her father's house. How beautiful is, are these passages in this chapter that we looked at when we look at things through, through the spiritual lens? looking at our Father in heaven and His only begotten Son. How beautiful are these passages? You see? And don't forget in verse 1, it's the heads of the tribes that have this responsibility to keep this these precepts perpetuating through the camp. They have this responsibility. Now for men, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. If I could meet you, I would give you a big fat hug and a big fat kiss on the cheek. You want your daughters. You want your daughters to marry good. Good men, godly men. It's a beautiful desire. And I'm going to challenge you, men. You be that man. You be the example for your little daughters. If she's five, if she's 10, if she's 15, you might have to go to your daughter and say, hey, baby girl, I'm sorry. I've repented to the Lord and now I ask for your forgiveness. Can you forgive me, baby girl, because I blew it? See what baby girl says. And then from that day forward, you be the godly example. You be the man you want your daughter to marry. Set the bar high. Some Joe Schmo, you know, uh, Riff Raff is going to come and ask her, hey, you know, let's go get something to eat. Riff Raff's going to come. She's going to say, no, you're Riff Raff. Why? Because I, I know what godliness is. Because I see godliness in my dad. And let me tell you something, Buster. You ain't it. See? Set the bar high, man. I love you. I don't say this to hurt your feelings. But I've spoken to the daughters. I've had conversations with daughters of defunct dads. And their walk, their walk with Christ is difficult. Because passages of submission, parental submission, even passages about when they look forward to their own husbands, it makes it very difficult. Don't make, you know, make the future path for your kids, male and female, make the future path easy. Make it light for them. I mean, it's going to be difficult. There's going to be difficulties. But as much as depends on you, as much as relies on you, be a help for your next generation of righteousness. Don't be the opposite. Don't present the opposite. Don't present roadblocks, stumbling blocks for your kids. No, you be the example of righteousness. You see, that's my challenge to men. I love you. And I don't say this to hurt you. But I say this because I love you. Because we're going to paradise. We're going to paradise. 
This world is fading and it's fading fast. And the remnant will be made even more bright. We're going to end our study here. Lord willing, pick up in chapter 31 next week. But God bless you. I love you. And oh, there was something I was going to say. Oh, that's for Sunday. (laughs) I'm getting old. God bless you guys. I love you.